Welcome to Paper Team, a podcast about television writing and becoming a TV writer. I'm Alex Friedman, aka TV Colin. And I'm Nick Watson on Twitter, underscore NJ Watson. And today, as uh, you can definitely hear, we are recording remotely and uh, we're actually doing an episode that we kind of hoped we did not have to do, but since we're all dealing with this now, this episode is going to be talking about COVID-19 and specifically how it's affected us professionally, personally, and the tools that you can find to help you with coping with COVID-19 on the professional side and the personal side. So this is a fairly unprecedented time in a lot of ways. I mean, we've seen things like this before with writer's strikes and economic downturns and all that kind of thing, but nothing that's quite kind of forced everyone into self-isolation and unable to really get together again. And obviously that's had a huge impact on the industry, Alex. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, And I can speak a little bit about the professional side that I've uh, gone through in terms of our writer's room, because when COVID-19 started, I was on staff. I'm still on staff right now on the show, but we switched over pretty quickly from an in-person writer's room to something digital. And right now we're actually working almost as if nothing has really changed in the sense of we are Skyping from 9 a.m. until 7 or 8 p.m. We are using something called Miro, which uh, I'll mention more about that uh, later, but it's essentially a digital whiteboard that we interact in terms of the recording system. And it's been almost like business as usual in terms of the writer's room side. Obviously, we're dealing with confinement and so forth, which, again, is another thing we'll talk about more in this episode. But just personally, on the professional side, it's been interesting to switch from something that was more physical to something that is more digital. I almost find it better in terms of the working environment just because we are in our own space. Maybe it's because I have my own sort of standing desk and I prefer typing and listening in my own place than in a conference room with glaring lights above your head. But it's actually been slightly better working environment for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I think it's really interesting to see how so many different facets of the industry have adapted to working from home and working remotely. And I think some of them have adapted better than others. Obviously, writers rooms can still go ahead remotely in that way and people can write and send stuff in. But unfortunately, for a lot of the support staff, some of them have been impacted. Now, writers assistants can still be on calls and take notes and everything. But when you look at something like a writer's PA, whose job is really to be there to get snacks for the room and to get lunches and coffees and a lot of physical kind of stuff. Unfortunately, I think a lot of them have sort of lost their jobs unless they've been lucky enough to have a showrunner or a room that's stood up for them and demanded that they still be paid by the studio. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting to see sort of the every show is taking a different approach. I know some showrunners and some people are fighting for those PAs because essentially in terms of the bottom line of the studio, uh, and this is something we've talked ad nauseum about, just the fact that the people on the support staff are the lowest paid of that ladder. And so it doesn't really cost them that much to keep someone on payroll and at least bring them on. I feel like, especially if you're looking at writer's assistant, writer's PAs and so forth, there's ways of bringing them into that digital environment. Even a writer's PA could still be involved in taking notes sometimes for the writer's assistant or doing some kind of passing of the torch element where I feel like this is an opportunity for people to slightly get bumped up Right? Like if the writer's assistant can pass some of the work to the writer's PA, and then that way the writer's assistant can try to pitch more in the room, while the writer's PA could get more experience being a writer's assistant in a lower stake environment. So I feel like there's definitely opportunities there for people to get bumped up in a way. 
Yeah, absolutely. And if you take a look around the the rest of the industry, I mean, let's just keep it to a, a show production level right now. Unfortunately, any of the live action shows that were really going on into filming have had to take a hiatus because you just physically can't have that many people working in the same space without the risk of infecting people. And they may be delayed in coming back for further seasons. And then also all of the live action pilots that were scheduled to have just be starting up around now and shooting right now have basically been taken away. And that's probably going to have a huge impact on the industry because they're not going to have new pilots to pick up to series unless they just give it an automatic straight to series order without seeing a pilot first. So I think that's going to have real ripple. Yeah, effect. definitely. And and I've seen that production side firsthand on, on my show just because we were initially geared up to start production around mid-April with prep starting beginning of March. And obviously, all of that has been canceled. It's a big question mark, especially in terms of the actors, because on our show, some of the actors, there might have been some turnaround and we weren't sure some of the actors were waiting on pilot season to see if they could return. Obviously, all that is put into question now. So it's going to be interesting to see how it's going to be uh, evolving in terms of the production. The show on is a spinoff of another show, and the other show is gearing up to allegedly start production around July. Now, obviously, you know, that's very tentative, so I don't know if that's going to even be possible for them. But on our side, we are almost moving to... I mean, it brings me back to Alter Carbon in a way where on Alter Carbon, essentially, we wrote everything in a semi-vacuum where before the first frame was shot, all the episodes had been written. And so that's kind of what we're doing now where we're really trying to write all the episodes at once before production even starts, which in a way is almost like a benefit because that way you can sort of map things out in a good way or in a better way, I would say. But uh, on the other hand, it's sort of interesting because we are not really getting a full green light on whether or not that's actually going to be produced. So it's, it's put a bit of a jeopardy on the show itself. And, you know, beyond just pilots, uh, in terms of development, a lot of the studios and networks are still operating. They're just working from home. And honestly, a lot of their jobs can be done remotely over the phone, over calls, over emails, things like that, reading scripts, giving notes, doing all that kind of thing. So as far as I'm aware and from what I've heard around the industry, studios and networks are still taking pictures for development for the most part. A lot of them are slowing down. They're buying a lot just because this whole thing has interrupted the industry and they don't really know what's going to happen next. And they're maybe trying to save some money for the amount of money they're just about to lose from all of this too but it seems like at least that side of things is still able to happen remotely which is good yeah it's this weird balance where some studios and some networks are doing almost business as usual where they're still taking in pitch meetings and development meetings and general meetings and some places are just shutting down because their focus has been so heavy on production that since uh, production has shut down they just cannot operate anymore so it's been interesting to see what which network, which studio, which production company has been dealing with which issue and, and looking at how everything is evolving. And I mean, interestingly enough, one of the industries that has been fairly untouched by all of this is the animation industry. And that is because it's one of the few parts of our industry that is able to work remotely. They can have their artists and their animators and everything sitting at home, working on their computers and their tablets, animating and sending stuff through. They already have a really complex digital workflow built out for animation and how all of that stuff is composited and built and sent around. So that is one that has actually adapted a lot easier to this process because they don't need to physically have people standing in a room together to make an animated show. Yeah, that's super interesting. So they've basically been uh, telecommuting in a way for years now. The whole pipeline is, is online, which is interesting. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you walk into a studio like at Shadow Machine where I did Final Space, you will 
see a bunch of animators sitting together in a bullpen kind of area working on their stuff. But that's just more, I guess, out of convenience because they have you know their equipment here, they have their, their bosses here, people that they can kind of come in and check their work and talk about things with. But you could very much take any of those computers home and still do the same amount of work and be doing this via calls and stuff instead. So I guess that's a really good thing for the people working animation. And you even see businesses like uh, Titmouse and Bento Box are continuing to hire and staff up their studio and their productions, even in a time when everyone else is letting people go. That's really great that they're bringing in a lot of freelancers and so forth. People in post also are working remotely. And that's, uh, again, a testament to the fact that some of the workflow was done on uh, Avid uh, workspaces, things that can be transitioned to you know people's homes uh, fairly easily, at least if they have some kind of working desktop. I know one of the CW issues, I forget which one, but they were able to turn around and edit pretty quickly even after you know the shutdown so that's been interesting to see yeah my hope for the silver lining of all of this i mean obviously all of it is is fairly terrible but i'm hoping that by the end of all this we've realized what can be done from home and what can be allowed to be done from home and that that kind of like helps streamline the industry moving forward it allows people that option if they need it if they are sick and don't have to come into work if they are suffering from some kind of disability or impairment and it's much easier for them to work from home that maybe we can see that it is in fact viable and there are many ways to help give people the best opportunity for their workflow, whether that's remotely or in person. And I feel like this is a very sort of American idea that even if you're sick, you should be working until you die. And I, I, I'm just worried on some level that because we're all working remotely, some people are working. I mean, I'm uh, a bit sick, uh, which I'll, I'll get into in the second half of this episode, but you know, I'm still working even though I'm sick because we're working remotely. So there's quote unquote less of an excuse to not work, which is one thing I, I'm a bit wary of if we're moving to a more virtual space. But I mean, to me, there are, like I said at the top, I feel like there are a lot of positives, especially in the writer's room environment. I mean, I'm a big proponent of a visual whiteboard. I'm going to circle back to, I mentioned Miro. I know Zoom is a very popular sort of online platform as well. The reason why we picked Miro is because the need of writer's room in terms of the whiteboard and, and, the, and the, the space is predominantly text-based. And Zoom and most of the online whiteboard applications, they offer an actual whiteboard, which means you can draw, you can maybe type on a pretty limited basis, but it's not really text-based, it's more visual medium. Whereas Miro, even though you can do all those things, you can also have a lot more interactivity with the text. So for example, post-it notes or comments or size fonts, all those different things, and really shape the board visually when you're breaking a story in a way that I felt like the other boards were not able to do. So I, I definitely recommend it if you're in a writer's room or even, uh, to be honest, even in your own writing projects, this might be a solution that I'm going to be using myself for my own scripts moving forward. Miro is a really cool tool to use to map out a board and it's free to use up to three boards, I feel like. Not that I'm really a Miro salesperson <laughs> by any means, but I, I do feel like that was definitely a solution that was a little bit uh, groundbreaking in our room was really using Miro and every writer, every person can be using that solution on their own computer. So they are able to interact on their own terms with the board in a way that, you know, a physical whiteboard would not, it's sort of like the board is across the room, you're really squinting your eyes to be able to read the fine print of the card. Whereas here, everyone basically has the board and can navigate and zoom in and out and add stuff however they want. And then you can really also see people's cursors. So if someone like highlights something on the board, you can see what people are looking at and so forth. So that's definitely been a huge plus. 
That's great. Yeah. Uh, and one last thing I just wanted to touch on before we move on to some more resources like that is that there are certain parts of the industry that have been harder hit than others and who have sort of suffered the first wave of layoffs and things like that. And uh, one of the, the first ones to go, whether it's in a time of economic downturn or crisis like this, is representation. And now that's not necessarily because their job can't be done remotely. Again, a lot of that is just, you know, there is a lot of in-person meetings and lunches and things like that, but that can be calls, that can be emails. However, the, the issue is in times like this, their clients are making less money, whether those are writers or actors. And as a result, that means that the uh, company is bringing in less money. And then they can no longer, you know, at least they claim can no longer afford the overhead to keep on quite as many agents, keeping the lights on in the building, paying their investors, all that kind of thing. So you start to see that we lose a lot of um, agents themselves. We lose a lot of assistants. Uh, I think one of the first things that happened was they fired all of the floaters who essentially come around and help desk to desk when someone is out or they just need a little bit of extra thing. I think the only thing open in a lot of agencies in person is the mail room because they're getting physical checks and need to send them out and, and process yeah. them to places. Yeah, that's, uh, again, just to circle back to our own experience, the, a lot of the, you know, the writers in my room, like it's a similar thing where the mails are physically being mailed out. So they are essential personnel in the concept of you need to get paid essentially. So that's why they're still working there. But I mean, it's been really tough to see all, all of that's been going on with that. Absolutely. And I think that's another really thing that I hope that all of this brings about a change in is the reliance upon physical mail and especially mm -hmm. physical checks. I, I don't know if in your yeah. experience in Europe, but especially in Australia, uh, even in Canada, you know, living up there for a little while, there's so much more ease of direct deposit of, you know, credit cards, PayPass, all digital payments, easy ways to move money around that doesn't require physical checks anymore. Oh, absolutely. I uh, concur 100%. I mean, in Europe, in France, I always think of credit cards in the sense of 10 years ago, there was a huge movement towards contactless payments, like cards that you could tap on the machine and you'd pay without contacts 10 years ago before that moved into Apple Pay and, and mobile phone solutions. But only over the past year have American credit cards used that technology on a massive scale to just contactless payment with the actual physical credit card, which is surreal. And so I feel like that does tie back to this idea that everything is supposed to be more secure if you're doing it with like a physical sort of like trace of paper. And the same goes with like checks and, and payments that from my money, quite literally, I feel like should be done with direct deposits. And at least as soon as you have that link secured with a bank and you know that's the correct bank account, you know, there's more of a connection there than, uh, you know, a check that may literally get lost in the mail. Yeah, it's the same way in Australia, as you're just describing in Europe, it was actually really nice being back over there in December and just being able to any payment up to $50, I could just tap my card, I don't even have to take it out of my wallet most of the time. Uh, you don't have to put in a pin, you don't have to touch the screen. And even, you know, in times like these with COVID-19 going around, the less amount that the same people are touching a touch screen or putting you know, their fingers on cards, handing things back over, then, uh, you know, I think that makes a non-zero impact on health. Absolutely. And uh, I did want to mention on the professional side, one thing that keeps going and that is meetings. I've had uh, a couple of meetings that were able to be done that were initially scheduled pre-COVID-19 uh, to be done in person, but thankfully they uh, were rescheduled to be done through Skype. So I've had several pretty successful meetings that were done. Obviously, it's a bit weird to have sort of like a general meeting with someone over Skype that you don't know. And it's almost like a blind date thing where like you're answering a Skype call and <laughs> you don't even know who the 
the person is, and uh, you're both Skyping from home. So it's even more weirdly intimate. But overall, it's been sort of a positive experience on, on that way that you don't really need to be physically present with someone else to have those meetings. And so that's another thing I hope people can take lessons from is just the, the way of like contacting, networking, meeting people can also be done, you know, online, not just in person. Yeah, I've had the exact same experience. I was actually setting up a ton of different meetings, basically catching up with different execs that I've met with throughout my career, wanting to kind of, you know, just get back on their radar and see what they've been up to. Some of them have been a couple of years since we'd really talked properly. And I'd set all these physical meetings in person to go into their offices, to go and get coffee, lunch, etc. And I had a ton of them lined up for as soon as I finished my latest gig. And uh, then this all hit and we all had to stay inside. And so pretty much all of them have been converted into phone calls or Skype calls or whatever it happened to be. And they've been going great. Like it's actually really nice to just have that connection. You don't have to drive all the way across town to their building. Everyone gets in and out of it quicker. You know, the only thing you don't get is the free water bottle. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, I just go to my fridge and I I pour some in my glass. And uh, uh, although I feel like some people probably are happy because then they can bring in their own sort of like wine bottle and (laughs) pour glass while taking a gel meeting over Skype. Yeah. But like you said, I think it Again, gives me some slight optimism for the fact that once people realize how easy it is to do these remote video meetings, calls, and that kind of thing, it might potentially disadvantage writers who live outside of LA less because execs are more willing and open to take these kind of meetings remotely. So if you are someone who's trying to break into TV or features or whatever from middle America somewhere or the other side of the country or internationally, then it might be a little bit easier to take those meetings instead of having to buy a $1,000 plane ticket to come over here all the time. And even for people on the up and up uh, here, I would say like the, the people climbing up the ladder, I would also hope that it sort of democratizes those meetings to a larger population because that way it's less of an investment, uh, at least on the executive side. They can just have a 20-minute, 30-minute Skype meeting and at least uh, you're getting that connection. So now that we've talked a bit about our own experiences professionally and uh, some of the hardest hits uh, areas, uh, let's look at some resources that you can use if you're either an assistant or uh, even if you just work in the industry as a whole. Yeah, so for- First and foremost, I think it would be remiss not to talk about the potential options for financial resources and relief that are out there. I think a lot of us are going to be struggling financially to pay rent, to pay bills, etc. Whether you're unemployed or whether you're underemployed or whatever it happens to be, I think it's, it's good to know where you can seek help. So luckily, there has been a great outpouring of generosity and help in this time for some of these resources. And we're going to post a bunch of the links to essentially Google Docs and spreadsheets of different links and places you can go to apply to uh, to give you the highlights of some of them. First and foremost, there is the Hollywood Relief Fund that was set up by Liz Alper uh, and and a couple of others. I believe John August is also involved in, in some of that stuff too. And that is essentially a GoFundMe that was donated to by working writers, working people in the industry and around the world who wanted to be able to help essentially bail out all of these Hollywood freelancers who have lost their jobs, whose shows have shut down, uh, impacted by the coronavirus. And they kind of like way overachieved their goal. I think they were planning on something like $50,000 and now they're closer to 150000 or 200000 So that's incredible. Yeah, even higher now because they're, uh, I just clicked on the link just to see and they're almost at 400000 I think I feel like they're going to hit $400,000 yeah. pretty soon. So it's pretty incredible. And, and the goal, uh, like you said, was to give a sort of a one-time amount of money to those that have lost at least partial wages. And there's a slightly higher amount of money 
to those that have lost uh, all their wages. So, you know, it's the difference between someone who had a 60-hour guarantee and moving to maybe a 20-hour guarantee compared to someone who had that 60-hour guarantee and now just doesn't have a job. But either of those positions can get that stipend. And so obviously you need to be, you know, a support staff uh, that uh, qualifies for unemployment benefits to get that stipend. But uh, I feel like this is like an amazing uh, effort and solution that they came up with. And again, a huge uh, kudos to Liz Alper as always uh, killing the game. It's a game changer. I mean, you don't even have to be necessarily like a writer's assistant or someone in and around the writer's room. It also applies to PAs, to coordinate a level of people, to assistants, that kind of thing. If you in some way uh, facilitate the running of Hollywood and you're in an assistant coordinator level, you should definitely be looking into that. Like you said, I think you can get around 500-ish for partial wage loss or around closer to 1,000 for full wage loss. So that can help you pay rent for a month. And that's incredible. A few more options out there. There is a thing called the Actors Fund, which a lot of people, I think, kind of dismiss because they're like, well, I'm not an actor. It's not just for actors. It applies to anyone in the entertainment industry. So we'll give you a link there too to their website where you can find some of their kind of emergency relief grants. And another cool thing that I just found out about recently is the First Entertainment Credit Union, who a lot of people in the industry use for banking and accounts and loans and things like that. They are actually offering $5,000 interest-free personal loans. Essentially, it's kind of free money. You can go and get it and use it and pay it back at your convenience because you're not actually accruing any interest on that. Like maybe it'll affect your credit rating a little bit, but if you need that money, that's an option there for you too. Yeah. That's a pretty incredible solution, especially if uh, hopefully by the time this episode gets released, there's uh, a bit more of a rent freeze in LA. But while we're recording this, there's no rent freeze going on, uh, at least uh, not for the whole county. I think uh, Santa Monica and some places have it. But nonetheless, I feel like this is a great way to get a loan to potentially pay those rents or those bills that are accruing for a lot of people. And as soon as you don't have any income, uh, that's really where, you know, the rubber meets the road in the in the sense of, you know, those interests are accruing and you got, you got to pay some of those bills you just can't push. And so I feel that's a great solution for people to get that interest-free loan. Uh, and the last thing that everyone should know about is the essentially government relief checks for coronavirus. They're making one-time payments of around $1,200 to most people if you're earning like under $75,000. And they're also expanding and increasing the unemployment benefits that you can get as well if you're eligible for those. There was the $2 trillion bill that was passed recently. And uh, hopefully by the time this episode is out, the money has been sent out. But essentially, it gives, uh, just talking about the unemployment and the extra benefits, it provides an extra $600 a week on top of a state benefit. And I believe that for California, the maximum state benefit is 450 a week. So you would potentially get $1,050 a week, which almost for a lot of those lower paid positions is almost an entire paycheck. So it's definitely a, a lot of money to uh, look into. And the other website that we have to mention is the official California COVID-19 website with all those resources about education, employment, taxes, healthcare, and different toolkits. And that's accessible at covid19.ca.gov. And obviously all those links we will put in the show notes. Yeah. And um, obviously while these bills are a great thing, unfortunately for some people like myself, who as an immigrant, who's not yet a citizen, whose green card is still processing, unfortunately I can't apply for unemployment because they will hold that against me with my green card to try the Trump administration passed a public charge rule that took place on February 24 and said that if you have received any kind of benefits from the government, we're probably not going to give you a green card because you can't support yourself. And that, that also applies to these checks. Even though I've been paying taxes, I've been uh, paying into unemployment, I'm not eligible for any of that stuff. Yeah. And I know a lot of other people are in the same boat, which is very unfortunate because often those are the people who need it most. 
Absolutely. I mean, this was kind of the main reason why I became a citizen. It wasn't because, you know, America, F, yeah, it's the number one country in the world, uh, probably in terms of COVID-19 cases it is. But uh, nonetheless, the problem here is that it's, in a lot of ways, it's taxation without representation. It's something I've been talking about even before I became a citizen because we're both immigrants here. Just the fact that we're both paying taxes and, and sometimes we're both uh, legal residents, and yet we're not being represented in a lot of those rights. And case in point, you're not getting uh, unemployment checks or other benefits because all of that is rooted in this sort of like, you got to be an American citizen to get all this, like you got to be a real American to get all those benefits. When in truth, I feel like a lot of countries, especially if you look at Europe and other uh, nations, they're based on residency and taxes because ultimately that's what the state is getting its income from taxes. So that's to get too political and too down this rabbit hole, but it's really unfortunate that this is sort of the case. Yeah. I mean, back in my home country of Australia, they are extending their payments and benefits to people who aren't citizens, who just happen to be residents or temporary residents, asylum seekers, things like that. But unfortunately, because I'm not uh, a legal resident of Australia at this point, because I've been living in the US for so long and paid my taxes here, I don't get anything from either country. So that's a really fun catch 22 for me. And on that note, we also mentioned before some of the online resources and tools that we've been using, uh, like I said, the Miro, Zoom, Skype, but what are some other ways that people can either network online or do business? Yeah, so I think that this is kind of an unprecedentedly popular time for this online networking. We're seeing a real resurgence of things like online drinks, coffees, happy hours, or whatever by things like writers groups, entertainment industry groups taking place over things like Google Hangouts. You know, you've got Skype, you've got Facebook video chat, all of these different programs that are allowing this kind of socialization, whether it's one-on-one or in a larger group. And it's happening even more. Australians in film are having regular weekly like quote unquote coffees where everyone just like makes themselves a coffee and you get on Google Hangouts and you all chat and you network. So that's been really cool. I even saw somebody recently hosted a VR party for anyone who has like a VR headset. You could literally show up to this party and have an avatar and walk around and talk and interact with people. And that's fascinating. the future. It's pretty incredible. There's also a lot of sort of like online game parties. Uh, I'm a big proponent of a tabletop simulator for those with uh, Steam. Also, any sort of a shared media consuming <laughs> of, uh, of movies and film and, and TV and so forth. Yeah, you know, there's like Netflix party, uh, Plex party also has its own thing. It's pretty fantastic. Yeah, another thing that I've really been getting into more and more, I'd used them a little bit up until now, but now I'm really diving in is Discord and Slack. And they are essentially kind of these like workplace management systems, but you know, they're used for both work and also just personal things. You can have something that's there for your job to kind of like manage channels and do things like that. Or they can just be for people who really love Magic the Gathering or the, you know, uh, NFL football or whatever. You know, there's anything and everything available out there on these programs. And there's just so many different channels for different points of interest, different discussions, all of that kind of thing. And even over Discord, there are voice chat channels, there are video chat. Uh, calling facilities, all that kind of thing too. Absolutely, yeah. I personally prefer Discord to Skype in many ways, but it used to be more of a gamer-focused uh, platform, but now it's definitely evolved into sort of an incredible uh, next-gen. I always, well, I feel like I'm old by just uh, using that, but people remember IRC. I feel like this is like Discord is sort of like the next level IRC where you have those channels, you have uh, voice chat, text chats, all those different uh, solutions. Uh, Slack is slightly more, I, I want to say like, 
like business focused in a way, almost like Zoom also uh, used to be a bit more business focused, but people are using Zoom to do like Pictionary parties and, and other weird games on Zoom now that, you know, I feel like uh, much more than the creators that really intended. But it's, it's Yeah, I feel like Zoom and this other thing called Blue Jeans are the very like business focused versions of these chat things. And then there's more social ones like Skype and Google Hangouts and that kind of thing. But everyone uses anything and everything. So. One last thing I just wanted to touch on too is anyone who is currently job seeking at the moment, it's uh, obviously going to be a little bit more difficult, but a lot of people are out of work and obviously they're looking. Unfortunately, not that many places are hiring. However, if you ever use the website entertainmentcareers.net, which is one of the better you know ones that has kind of jobs posted up regularly, they actually have an entire section right now that is dedicated to providing you advice regarding the current situation of the job market and the industry during COVID-19. They have an entire page on job searching in a bad economy, which includes advice about what kind of jobs are being let go right now, which is talent agencies, marketing, the kind of things that people aren't spending money on in an economic recession, and advice for what you should and shouldn't be applying for. They give some tips like, Right now is not the best time to apply for reach jobs where you think you might not be qualified, but you're kind of hoping you have a chance because there's so many more applicants out there. It's so much more competitive. You're better off spending your time applying for things that you have a realistic shot of getting. And you might even want to consider applying for jobs which you traditionally thought you might be overqualified for because they, in this type of economy, they've shown that employers are more likely to hire overqualified people than people who just meet the minimum qualifications. Yeah, it's great to see all those uh, resources pop up. Uh, I'll also mention that we did an episode way back when that was PT35 called the Supplemental Income for Writers, uh, talking a lot about freelancing, ways of not just balancing work and writing, but really sort of what are the freelance jobs worth pursuing as a writer and uh, the benefits and drawbacks of being so that independent contractor position that a lot of people are in right now. So I would definitely recommend that. It is a good time and a bad time to be a freelancer right now, but on some level, I feel it's better than nothing. So it's good to sort of seek out those opportunities when they happen. All right, now that we've looked at the more business side of things, let's talk a bit more about how COVID-19 has affected us personally and uh, how we get by. First of all, Nick, what has been going on with you? Yeah, so like a lot of people, I've had my life affected by this in a fairly big way. The main one for me was that I had to postpone my wedding that I'd been planning for over a year. We had been set to be married on the 22nd of March. And yeah, the Monday before that, our venue let us know that they were unable to remain open with the restrictions that had just been put in place. And, uh, you know, just in our own heads too, we were thinking that we probably shouldn't have that many people in the one place at the one time, given how serious things were starting to become. So yeah, we have officially postponed the ceremony and reception. However, we did decide to just get married in our living room because we wanted to be legally married already for personal reasons and emotional reasons, and also some practical ones like healthcare and uh, insurance and things like that. So yeah, we are married, which is awesome. And we're enjoying our little, I like to call it a homey moon. We're just kind of chilling at home. <laughs> Uh, enjoying our quarantine uh, with the two of us and our animals. And we've been uh, playing a lot of video games. Miranda just <laughs> beat like Pokemon Shield in three days or something and now playing Animal Crossing. And I downloaded uh, Magic the Gathering Arena, which I'd been telling myself I wouldn't do because it would be uh, not help me be productive. But I've got plenty of free time now. So I've been playing a lot of that and it's been a lot of fun. I've also been doing uh, multiplayer video chat uh, versions of like uh, Paper Magic. <laughs> I've been playing with my friends over Discord. So that's been really fun too. Yeah, I remember when Magic Arena was still in beta. I was still I was playing it. This was maybe two years ago now, probably or Sounds something right. like that. 
and then I basically stopped because it was just taking all my free time. So. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm still kind of trying to figure out that balance of uh, being proactive with uh, enjoying myself. But I mean, that's something I kind of wanted to touch on. I think a lot of people feel this onus that like, well, I'm at home, I'm working from home, I'm unemployed, whatever it happens to be. And I've got all of this free time. Well, of course, I have to crank out a screenplay every week, or I need to be doing this and doing that. And like, everything has to be like working again. If that works for you, then great. You know, it is an awesome time to get some writing done, do some projects, reorganize and restructure, whether it's your life or your home or your whatever. You, know, you can make plans for the future, creative personal business, but I think you should also make sure to use this time for self-care. Take care of your mental health. There's a lot of stress and anxiety and uncertainty around everything right now, whether that's health or money or jobs. So if you just need to chill for a couple of weeks and relax and de-stress, like please do. Don't feel guilty about that. You know, you can be searching for jobs, you can be chipping away at stuff, but just like also take some time for yourself. Like personally, for me, it's been weirdly nice in a way to kind of feel like I actually have time for myself for once, even if it's forced. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. I feel like for a lot of people, it's very much like feast and famine. I'm kind of the polar opposite of Nick, which uh, I'll get into in just a second, but just to go back to well, you just said, I think it's very interesting and I completely agree that for a lot of people, in a way, it's a bit like hiatus, right? You sort of have this amount of free time and you're not quite sure what to do with it. So I definitely recommend checking, I think it was PT126 was our paper team episode all about staying productive during hiatus. And like you said, a lot of it should be about taking care of your health, not just physically, but mental health as well, especially in the environment when we're constrained at home, especially again, if you are in LA, that means that probably you don't have a huge space. If you're in New York or LA or a major city, generally speaking, your apartment will not be that big. So it's hard to really walk around and, and have fun. So yeah, I'm definitely a big proponent, like you said, about taking care of your mental health. Absolutely. And I mean, part of that for me too, is just being careful about constantly browsing through Facebook, Twitter, social media. I think it's very easy to get caught up in that. And there's a lot of scary stuff out there and a lot of very sad stuff. And honestly, there's not a lot that you can do about some of those things other than just doing what you're doing now, just staying inside, taking safety precautions, and hoping that things get better. You know, I, I think you should be afraid to disconnect in these times too, when yeah. uh, you're sitting around a lot of free time and all you are is connected. Definitely. And especially if you're getting just a barrage of news every single day, it definitely doesn't help with not just productivity, but your mental health and your sanity. So don't be afraid to disconnect, as you said. Personally, my experience has been pretty different. The first thing I'll say is that I'm thankful that I'm working unlike other people. So my schedule, my sort of nine to five, as it were, which isn't really nine to five, has been pretty jam-packed in the sense of from Monday to Friday, I work from 9 a.m. until 8 or 9 p.m., uh, and sometimes even weekends. So I haven't had free time, uh, so to speak. That said, there's a lot of like personal stuff that I'm sort of juggling with. Uh, the first thing, as you may hear from the sound of my voice, is that I am uh, sick. I have bronchitis. I've, oh, I think I have bronchitis, actually, because uh, I've been sick for the past couple of weeks. I've tried to get a doctor on the phone because, obviously, I don't want to go to a clinic physically or much less a hostel. So I was able to get someone through a service called Teladoc, which depending on your insurance company, uh, it might be a service that you can get for free, but essentially it matches you with a doctor. Now I called, I think it was, uh, let's say a Tuesday, I set up 
a call, and the call actually occurred on Friday. So it took, I think, three or four days for a doctor to get back to me <laughs> with, you know, like a relatively urgent problem because obviously I had uh, trouble breathing and so forth. But anyway, so that doctor diagnosed me who really didn't know much about my, you know, history with asthma and like past stuff. He basically diagnosed some antibiotics, which isn't really necessarily the best for a virus since it's for bacteria. It didn't really speak to my symptoms, you know, my lung problems and my headaches and so forth. So long story short, I was able to get some medication, but it's still not uh, great. But we'll see how it goes. Now, that's just one thing because I learned some news about my uh, my mom. And also, uh, actually yesterday, I learned some other news about the rest of my family who are in the east of France, which is the uh, worst hit area in France. It's kind of like if you're looking to one-to-one with Italy and uh, US, it'd be like uh, Lombardy and, and New York uh, in terms of the worst hit areas. But all that is to say that despite everything going on, there is a, a non-zero chance that I'm going to have to go back to France in the not-too-distant future, which is probably the last thing I want to do. It's really only going to be sort of like a last-case emergency because obviously, at the very least, I just don't want to be the cause for propagating any viruses to other people. So, and I know that if I were to go back to Paris, for example, I would kind of have to be staying with my parents in this case, which would not be great. So I don't really know yet what I'm doing. It's kind of a play by illustration, but putting this all out there just to say that we're also dealing with our own stuff and that doesn't you know, stop me from uh, working, but that also, I feel like we can, like Nick said uh, before, we can all go down the spiral of why am I not being productive? Why am I not writing this spec script or a uh, fellowship thing? When in reality, we all are dealing with a crisis that's in many reasons uh, has never happened before. So it's important to take time for yourself and to look at what you can do for other people. Now, with all that said, uh, I feel like uh, now is a good time to talk about what that means for uh, TV calling and obviously paper team itself. Now, the first thing I'll say about TV calling is even though I mentioned in the last episode or a couple episodes ago that I was working on the spec list, I may not be able to deliver the spec list. This episode is going to be released end of April. So we're recording this end of March. Uh, and so by that time, who knows how the situation will have evolved. Uh, I'm hoping that I can get a spec list out, but obviously because of uh, personal reasons, I may not be able to get around to it. So that's the first thing. The other thing that we wanted to uh, mention is that Paper Team is going to take a little break or a pause. Uh, I don't know if Nick, you wanted to speak to that. Yeah, essentially, I mean, like a lot of TV productions and other things, the current situation has caused a lot of uncertainty and a lot of difficulties in the physical production of the podcast. As you can hear, we're doing this remotely, and we both have a lot of other stuff going on. And uh, we just, you know, have to sort of play it by ear a little bit and see how things unfold as to how much time and attention and resources we have to continue for the time being. That doesn't mean that the podcast is over. By all means, we have every intention of picking things up again as soon as that's actually possible. But we will probably have to take a little break. It could be a couple of weeks. It could be a month or two. It could be longer. We, we just don't know at this point, And we will update everyone as soon as we do. Absolutely. And uh, and just because the, the podcast is taking a break, that doesn't mean the resources we've provided so far are not useful anymore. I mean, just two weeks ago, we did 
a, a big episode with getting updates from all of the running programs on April 6th. And so I feel like that's definitely something that's very actionable for a lot of people right here, right now. And even looking back at past episodes, I mean, we have a back catalog of a hundred and now 177 episodes. So a lot of that is still useful, especially looking at all the writing advice episodes. Uh, in this very episode, we mentioned several in terms of dealing with hiatus, mental health, uh, being productive, freelance work, all those tools are still actionable and uh, usable. So unless you're an Uber fan who's listened to every single one of those 177 episodes, <laughs> which I don't think a single person has uh, besides us, then uh, please do. Now, now really is the time to go back and, and enjoy some of the good old times. Absolutely. I mean, we always strive to make our content evergreen. So somebody listening to it three or four years later after it was recorded can still get uh, useful information out of it. It's not just timely and tied down to what's happening. Now, obviously, there are some paper scraps where we're talking about what's going on in the industry at the time, but we're still answering mailbag questions. It's still relevant. So absolutely go back through our back catalog and catch, take this time to catch up, kind of like uh, TV binge watching. You can binge on the game and be caught up to date by the time we come back from our season hiatus. And that's they what it listen. is. It's, you know, it's, a, it's an indefinite hiatus. It doesn't mean forever. It just means we don't know the amount of time that it will happen for. Exactly. And even if the podcast itself is not happening each week, we still have a lot of resources available. And like we said just now, we have the podcast itself, obviously, but we also have the TV Calling Writers Room Facebook group. So in that case, especially in this time, you should rely on each other to really boost each other up and keep each other sane. So you can get on that group at papertimaco slash group. Yeah, absolutely. I'd love to see more people using the Facebook group and, and starting discussions and giving each other feedback on their work, on uh, their log lines, things like that. I think we really can take this opportunity to grow it into more of an online community where people are, are being really active and, and interacting with each other. That's what I'd love to see for this break for us. And then, you know, we're always online. We are on Twitter. You can always hit us up there. You can also still email ask at paperteam.co. We'll be checking that intermittently and doing our best to stay on top of that. So, you know, we will be online if you need us or if you have any pressing questions about TV industry, writing, business, all of that sort of thing. So as always, we want to say thanks to our listeners for taking this time to tune in. But this time, you know, more than ever, we really mean it. We have appreciated the support of all of our listeners and fans so much over the years. And it's been incredible to see how that keeps growing and building. And we get to do these live events and meet people and see how we're actually making a real impact on their lives. So from the bottom of our hearts, we genuinely do appreciate all of you. And we're looking forward to seeing you again when we're back from this hiatus. Absolutely. Uh, I know this may sound almost like a farewell, but it's more of a you know goodbye for now. We're going to be back soon, hopefully sooner than we think. But in the meantime, we really, really appreciate all of you for not just sticking with us uh, week after week, but just being there and, uh, and being you. And on that note, you can get all the show notes, all the resources that we mentioned for this episode at paperteam.co slash 177. As always, I'm on Twitter at TV Calling. I'm at underscore NJ Watson. And as mentioned, we will answer your emails if need be. You can send questions, thoughts, feedback, ideas for future episodes at ask at paperteam.co. And on that note, we will see you soon. We'll see you then.